You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. As always, I am Ben Wolf, your host. We are, God willing, going to learn from our guest today what emotional intelligence, what emotional intelligence is, why it matters, and the effect that it has on your bottom line. I invite everybody out there, if you value the value that we are sharing on this uh, show, that you ins- make sure that you subscribe, leave a review, and um, and as I always reiterate, it's important to leave a review because not only does that tell. Uh, me and us, how you are liking it or any feedback. It also, uh, it also having good reviews and multiple reviews helps make the content that we share more accessible to more people, come up higher in search results. So encourage people to make sure to take a moment out and leave a review. Of course, subscribe also wherever you listen to podcasts uh, or on the web. And uh, so with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today and our topic Uh, So our guest today is the CEO and founder of Leaders Inspired, where she trains leadership teams and coaches individual executives on emotional intelligence. Uh, She she takes leadership teams anywhere in the United States through a once-monthly, six-month leadership uh, mastery program that uses an experiential approach. Uh, She previously has served as chief operating officer and in other senior executive roles in uh, the people development space at multiple companies. Uh, She has an upcoming book entitled The Emotionally Intelligent Leader, which is coming out this year. Uh, If you want to get updates on that, you can go to emotionallyintelligentleader.com, take a little quiz there, you get added to the list. Um, And, um, you know, so I encourage you to check that out if you want to get information on that. And uh, her website, if you want to learn more about what she does, is leadersinspired.com. Dot com and with that I give you Mary Pat Knight. Welcome Mary Pat. How are you? I'm great, Ben. Thanks for having me here today. No problem. Well, it's my my pleasure to have you on and uh definitely appreciative of uh of Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, a certified EOS implementer out here in New York and a mentor of mine who introduced us. Uh so very happy that we are connected. Um, and, uh, so I want to start with, uh, asking a question of just, you know, if you could, you know, besides what's on your resume or, you know, your LinkedIn profile per se, if you could just, you know, give us a quick two minute history, how you got to be where you are today and in, in this area uh, of the world of, uh, you know, of emotional intelligence and leadership training. How did, how did you get into that? And wh- how did you get where you are today? Uh, I guess briefly, if you don't mind. Um, my pleasure. I think I was born into leadership, and that sounds odd, but let me just clarify that. I am the first uh, child of of a second-generation Irish-American family. All four of my grandparents immigrated to this country from Ireland. And so I was the first child, the first grandchild, the first cousin, the first sister, the first everything. So I I really started to blaze a trail from a really young age um, and was sometimes quite bold in how I blazed that trail. My first career was as an actor. And so as an actor, which I no longer am, I'm a lover of the theater now, but I am not an actor. But as an actor, I had to learn really uh, how to observe the human condition. And it was so fascinating to me. If, if you don't know the human condition, you can't bring it to life on stage. 
So to really understand, learn, pick apart the human condition, the motivations, the inspirations, the obstacles, the conflicts was such fertile training ground for me early on. And then when I moved into the the corporate space, I have what I call a magical career because everywhere I turned, I was offered an opportunity after an opportunity after an opportunity that led to higher and higher levels (laughs) of my own leadership as well as the ability to develop other leaders. So um, I really feel that, you know, in, in many ways I have, you know, followed followed this muse of leadership my entire life. And here I am today wanting to um, support other people to find their own leadership inside them, transform their leadership. So basically they, they can transform their worlds. In a nutshell, that's me. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's that's a great nutshell. I mean, it, it's certainly uh, well put and and interesting. I'd love to support uh, you know to explore the acting background as well. Just you know, in high school, I, I was also uh, into theater and started off in high school theater and then transitioned to community theater uh, for a while. So definitely. Uh, you know, interested to hear that story, but I don't, I don't know if this time today, based on the uh, the theme of the show, but um, but if you don't mind, you know, talking about first just the basics. What is what is emotional intelligence, and why is it important? So there are obviously many many volumes of information around this because it is really the most one of the most top five called for what they call quote-unquote soft skills which kind of makes me laugh because there's nothing soft about developing your human potential there's nothing soft about it at all some of the hardest work you'll ever do but according to many many studies and many polls Mm -hmm. right now it is one of the top called for training um, topics in corporate America and they believe that it will stay um, for the next 10 to 15 years as a top called for uh, training subject, uh, leadership development subject. So uh, it's really, really important. So there's volumes of information written around it if you really want to be a geek like me and study deeply around it. But to sum it up in a nutshell for you, emotional yeah. intelligence is uh, it occurs in two concurrent uh, in two concurrent lanes. One is myself, one is you. At the very heart of it, I understand that as a human being, I have emotions. And many of us spend a lifetime denying our emotions or go into work suppressing our emotions or into our lives wanting to have different emotions. But at the end of the day, as a human being, I experience emotions. And it is my job to manage them. So when I recognize them, emotional intelligence is me effectively managing my emotional responses, my emotional reactions, those feelings that I have. And that leads to being Mm -hmm. resilient, it leads to being um, uh, self-aware, it leads to being self-supporting. But that brings me to the other side. The other side is if I have emotions, doesn't it make sense that you have emotions too? And how many of us spend a lot of our times judging or criticizing other people for the emotions that they're feeling? And I kind of laugh, the, the, the famous Tom Hanks line in A League of Their Own is, there is no crying in baseball. Well, guess what? As a human being, you might cry sometimes. You have an emotion, you know? So, um, and for us to be aware that if we have emotions, other people have emotions, that puts us into a compassionate space for them, not a caretaking space, a compassionate space. And if we understand that they have emotions, then it is our job, our choice, our privilege to manage the relationship. And we do that through the leadership skills of listening, offering appropriate feedback, coaching, empathy. Um, all of those skills that we as, as leaders need to acquire to effectively lead our teams. 
that's why I think leadership and emotional intelligence really go hand in hand because you have to have a mindset, you have to have a skill set, and you have to have a heart set. And I think emotional intelligence kind of wraps all of that together in one umbrella. And, and why is it important? What happens when people... Well, at the end of the day... <laughs> go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. Why is it important? Well, obviously it's important because we're all human beings doing the best we can as human beings in a work or life environment. And if we cut off that part of ourselves, that's our emotional life, then, you know, we, we can, can become ro- ro- robotic or despotic or, you know, any of any of the other labels that we want to put on it. At the end of the day, we have to honor our emotional life. Right. Well, what, um, I guess, how do, how do you see people working or not working on their emotional intelligence through their leadership as uh you know how do you see that affecting like you know the actual you know the the hard business or the economic results for companies what what effect do you see that having of people working on it or not working on emotional intelligence and in the actual economics of the business yeah, and I think that's a really, really good point, Ben, and, and I think we don't want to put that to the side because at the end of the day, any of us listening or participating on this podcast, we're actually running businesses, and businesses are alive to create a product, create a result, and create income, so we have to really keep our eye on that. So the way I think EQ drives it is there are many ways to lead. You can lead by um, dictating and telling. Does that create inspiration and motivation? I don't think so. So if you have people in your company who are producing your product or who are producing your result or your system or your service, those people need to have a pathway to be self-motivated to get the job done for you and to deliver the results. Mm -hmm. What I know is people who aren't experiencing the trust or the emotional safety or the psychological safety that emotional intelligence provides to them is they're going to go into some level of resistance and whether you like it or not they're going to hold back some of their effort it's not conscious always sometimes it is conscious but they hold back their effort so you're not getting the full production out of your people you're not getting the results Mm. you're not being able to drive for performance so i actually have case study after case study after case study of folks who have worked with me who've seen real economic growth and one not-for-profit uh for instance actually saw a delta of a million dollars over an 18-month period so there's um there's there's real um economic factors i have Another client who was uh, one of their divisions was very underperforming, uh, did not meet budget, uh, did not meet year over year. And within an 18 month to two year trajectory, they were actually well exceeding um, budgets from their prime years from you know two, three years prior to that. So they, they really saw by focusing their efforts in this area, they saw a, a huge economic result. But then I think the biggest thing that happens is as business leaders, we get really tired of, of some of the, the human stuff that happens in our business and it wears us down. So another really practical aspect of this is that it actually returns joy to the business owner and the business leader. I mean, you're more joyful. And mm-hmm. if you're more joyful, you're more inspiring, you're more productive, you're more visionary, you're more you know, putting your processes in, into place and you can actually achieve the results that you want. Right. That is, uh, 
Well, that, I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, I guess you, you could look at it that, you know, without working on, on this area of your leadership, you're really, you're, you're leaving money on the table, so to speak. You get, you know, hate to like talk, yeah. talk about something that sounds idealistic and put it in, you know, put it in economic terms to feel like maybe it's minimizing it. But uh, as you said before, it's a, you know, it's a business and, and we have to, we have to think about the, I guess, you know, ROI of any investment. And this is not just a quality or, or yeah. a human investment that you make because, because you're human, but but because you don't want to leave money on the table by you know by by you know squandering your resources which are which are your biggest resources your biggest human capital which is your people yes you know you're right about that and so i i um i you know i often hit the obstacle of well you know we have to invest in in process or we have to invest in equipment or whatever and and i get that because you have to this is actually leadership and emotional intelligence development is practical practical investment in your business because of the driver and that's the person who's going to deliver your product right 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 and then and i and i would you mentioned a lot of case studies and i, I would love to hear more, more of those i, I, I want to get into uh, a couple of things I, I was really fascinated looking through um you know your curriculum and you know, and there was just you know way too many areas that we could cover today, but um, wanted to hopefully touch on a couple of them. Um, so one is you you teach people, you teach leaders about customizing communication to meet people where they are. Um, what's the issue there? What should people be doing? Well, this is actually this is a real um, this a pivotal uh, pivotal. Um, point of, of the teaching that I do. It really comes right at the very beginning because it's a baseline of how to begin to interact with, with our teams. And the issue is, is that we tend to see the world from our own filters. It's just what happens. We have a series of experiences that have happened in our lives, a series of, of perceptions that we have or judgments that we hold, and we see the world from our own filters. Now, we, we do a lot of behavioral assessments, um, which, which helps us to understand but at the end of the day, unless we're willing to take action on the things that we've learned through the behavioral assessments or the observations we have around how people show up, then we're all still in our own silos mm -hmm. holding our own you know, flank of how we need to show up and how other people need to respond to us. We actually have it backwards. As leaders, we want to win. We want to win through our people. Um, take a, you know the title of your podcast it's a win-win you have to win through your people mm -hmm. and if you're only winning by dictating or telling or 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 are only um having one beat as a leader like my style of communication you have a problem because you're going to miss three quarters of your population so to me that's the issue right i mean i guess you know i guess when, when i imagine people hearing this idea maybe that I've known in the past, I, I guess I, or that I know now, I, I think about, you know, that, well, what's the objection that many people are going to feel that they're going to, uh, the, you know, executives, leaders are going to feel that um, either they, they shouldn't have to because of their position, or maybe they just don't feel like they have the mental bandwidth to put in the effort to change the way they communicate with different people uh, who are junior to them as a, you know, and not senior to them. Mm -hmm. So, then you know when you're speaking to someone who's coming from this perspective and doesn't understand why they should have to do this you know these are the employees they should have to adapt to me not the not the reverse so you know or maybe they feel like they can't or don't have the <laughs> bandwidth to, to do this so what 
you know, when you're speaking with somebody who feels like that, what do you tell them? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, help people get what they want and you're going to get your results. So to help people get what they want, you might need to talk in the language that they can actually hear you. I mean, do you want to win? Do you, I mean, is there a game here that you're playing that you want to win? You want the results in your business. <laughs> you now have to make sure that your message lands. And if it doesn't land, you've, you've, you've wasted your effort. So I think about this, like, let me just go off on a one quick tangent. I think about the, 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 sure. the thing that happens to me in my business is I, am, I end up, I'm highly visionary, but I also have strong integrator. So I'm highly visionary and I'm off to the races and I'm working with my, um, my, uh, my managing director who functions in an integrator role for me. So as my, we're working with my managing director and I'm off to the races with an idea of this or that or this or that. And then I get off the call and realize I never provided her with the detail that she needs in order for me to get the result that mm -hmm. I want. So I didn't customize to her need. Mm -hmm. I just allowed myself to feel good in my communication. So, I mean, that happens all the time, you know, and, and Ben, if you take a look at it, just let's mm -hmm. take it down to four just real quick, real quick ways of, of looking at people. I mean, you could do Colby predictive index, you could do all of them and you could come up with, with, you know, your amalgamation of what a person is, but there are four driving motivators right. that, of, that people function with to communicate. And that's get the results, which means I drive hard, I get the results, I want the task done, I want it done now, get it done, get it bottom line to me which then mm -hmm. is opposed by the second leader, which is the one who wants appreciation, which is I'm for the people. I'm the salesperson. I'm the inspirer, the connector, the vision, you know, the vision, the visionary or the vision proponent of it. Then you've got the next person, which mm -hmm. is get me the facts. And so that's your analytical data driven. I want the historical view before I make a decision. And I want the why question answered. And then you've got the get along, which is I'm all about the team and, and the ground rules and cooperation and loyalty and support. And please don't put me into conflict. So you've got those four components. So if I'm a get the results okay. person talking to a get the facts person, I'm going to continually diminish um, their contribution if I don't honor the fact that they need to give me some facts. It was like, bottom line it, bottom line it, bottom line it, which we've all had people we've worked with like that, and we may be those as well. But the person who has the facts honors the facts and would like to present some of them to you. How do you compromise so that the communication hits? So back to my example, I'm the, you know, I'm visioning and getting the results and moving along. And then, you know, my managing director, um, you know, basically then has to come back to me and say, I need more detail around this. So I've wasted a lot of time and I've not met her needs so she can do her job. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I hear, I mean, you, I, I guess what I'm hearing is that, you know, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm going to stubbornly insist that, uh, you know, people, especially who are junior to me uh, or even who are colleagues and co-equal with me need to just adapt to me uh, as opposed to the other way around, then I'm going to feel I'm going to just end up in a situation where I feel like I'm banging the head against the wall because yeah. people are not going to be able to show up to me to, with me the way I, I need them to because yeah. they're not getting what they need um, or not understanding things. Yeah the way they need to understand them. So if I can just kind of yeah. save some time, save some head wall banging, you know, space and tell people, you know, the information, you know, answer the questions that I know they're going to ask me afterward anyway, or they're going to cause a delay because they 
don't want my angry response when they ask those questions, you know, and then it's just going to delay everything. So then just kind of preempt it because I know what's coming and just, you know, give them what they need so that we could all get this done faster. We can get to my bottom line or whatever the example is. You know, and I love the way that you just summed that up. So let's take a look at the impact of the headbanging. The headbanging then leads the leader to think something is wrong with their team, that something is wrong with them rather than take looking in the mirror and taking responsibility, which is if if I am the leader, the pace of the leader is the pace of the pack. So if I believe something is wrong with them, I need to go back and take a look at how am I leading? How am I communicating? How am I inspiring? There's something in me that's not eliciting what I want from my team. And this is a great place to start by customizing communication. Right. I really appreciate that. And, and there was another area I wanted to I wanted to get into, and I think people will will find very interesting. Um, and I, I've heard Tony Robbins speak about this this uh, trio also, but the trio uh, that you call the victim, the villain, and the hero, uh, understanding triggered yeah. behavior, and you call this the drama triangle. So, explain explain these three these three personas that that we all take on at various points. So there's a lot of talk these days about a drama in the workplace. And I think that understanding the drama triangle allows you to manage uh, emotions and dysfunctional behavior in the workplace. So it's really, really important. And yes, it's been around for a really long time. It, it came out of the transactional analysis movement. And so Stephen Cartman, I think, was one of the first who introduced this. And he introduced it, um, uh, I, I think, in, in, in the society of, of addiction recovery. And then it moved into... Um, business because it was so profound with the relationships that happen in business. So there's a lot of drama that happens when these three characters start to interact with each other. You have a villain who's a critical, bullying, mm-hmm. fault-finding, also quite Teflon because they won't take ownership of the problem or the solution, but is very, very adept at pointing out what is wrong with you. And then you have the victim mm-hmm. who responds to the villain, who looks for villains, because the victim's worldview is, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, and somebody ought to rescue me, and the big bad wolf is coming to get me. And so there's that, you know, and I'm simplifying it here, there's so much more to this. And then you have the other character in this drama, and it is really a melodrama, and anyone who's of, of an age that used to watch Dudley Do-Right will recognize this melodrama. You've got the hero, uh-huh. which I sometimes relabel as the rescuer or the enabler. And the hero mm-hmm. looks for victims who are picking on, on, I mean, villains who are picking on victims, and they rush in to save the day for the victim, whether it needs to be saved or not. So it's a tricky character. The hero is a tricky character because it's based in service. You think you're doing the right thing, but because you're taking away the victim's capability to figure it out for themselves, you perpetuate the drama because the victim will never then become a creator and you will always be rescuing and you rob people of an opportunity to think and do for themselves. So, And the interesting thing about the drama triangles, you can switch positions in 30 seconds. You can go from hero to sure. victim when you're not being recognized for your heroism and then you could go to villain by telling everyone all the gossip you've heard about them and you go right back to hero to fix the day. You can go around the bases you know, in a nanosecond. <laughs> So I think it's really, really important. It is the source of a lot of trouble and drama. And to understand it without judging it and without, you know, going, please don't go home to your your wife or your husband and say, I learned about this today and you're a victim. Please don't. Please don't. The holidays are coming. Okay. So 
<laughs> don't do that. But I think it's a real um, uh, important concept that we begin to understand. You'll see it in your family dynamics and you'll see it in your business dynamics and your job is to get out of it. Well, what's a maybe maybe give us a give us a recent story like you know something some scenario that came up where where this came up that people can relate to like in a day to day you know in their business uh, where you have one of these victim villain hero triangles at least at a moment in time because you said people obviously can switch back and forth but you know let's take a moment in time like you know what's a, a, a vignette of something you've heard of recently in this. Um, well, let's uh, let's take a look at it. This is old. This is like an old time story. So um, anyone listening, I've protected your innocence. Okay, this is an old time story. So we have a trio <laughs> of people who operate a business, um, and they have history. All right, they've got long term history. They grew up together, so they've got a lot of you know. Um, they may not be family, but they have a lot of family type history. So in that trio, you've got a villainous. You've got a villainous person in one seat who knows all of the secrets about the one person who is being victimized and really is is really exemplifying victimized behavior. And then on the other side, the third person is watching that drama and wants to f come in and fix it and find solutions and rescue it. In the meantime, their business is dying on the vine. And it also what happens is the rest of the company is watching the three part, the three people in the leadership team uh, do this drama, do this dance, and it's, you know, it becomes horrifying entertainment for them. So that, you know, reduces their productivity, <laughs> and then they lack leadership and direction. So you can see this is like a horror movie in the making, yeah? So what right. we began to see is that the, the villain felt that, that they were not being heard and that they wanted to have more impact on decision making in the business, but didn't ask for it, instead decided to bully and criticize. The victim needed to get over their history with this person who was constantly throwing it in their face. And so we did a lot of work around that about wow. minimizing the trigger that they were feeling every time it came to them. And then I told the hero, get out of it. Let the two of them duke it out for whatever time it takes for them to duke it out, you are not allowed to fix it. Which was painful for them because they wanted to fix it. That's that's how they're wired. Soon what they all realized is mm -hmm. they needed to take responsibility for, for the drama that they were bringing to the table. They also saw the impact it was having on their business. And they decided to go to the leadership formula, which I will lovingly um, attribute to Jack Canfield, who wrote Success Principles, which is E plus mm -hmm. R equals O. And so let me break that out for you. The E stands for stuff happens, yeah, an that? event. Something happens. You get a trigger in that event. Something happens. You have a memory. And out of that event comes some level of outcome, whatever it is. Your saving grace is in managing the R, which is in the middle of the equation. And the R is you either react without thinking into a trigger or you respond in leadership by taking a deep breath and taking responsibility for what you've contributed to the issue and looking for a solution together. So uh, that's that's the story of this is is like a there it's not a horror story anymore. It's a victory story. It's a wonderful braveheart victory story because their business completely turned around. Their relationship turned around. They rights they put themselves in the you know in the right seats which they were not in um to begin with. And um and you know they're happy mm -hmm. as clams. They're going to they're going to be in business together for 25 more years. 
Wow. Well, it, it, it seems like it is it is hard to break that cycle. And, you know, and how does, I guess let's take the victim, the victim, quote unquote, for a second. I mean, how, if somebody's, I don't know, mentioning this history or whatever it is, or, you know, how do you, how do you just not be triggered? Like, how do you, how do you break that cycle? I think the the victim cycle is really hard to break um, as one who's broken through it a couple times myself. It's very hard to break because we feel very convicted in our victimhood because we are being picked on in our perception or we're unlucky in whatever perception we hold and we hold that fast and true. I think the way out of it um, is the people around the person experiencing um, that victim cycle start to ask great open-ended coaching questions. What can you create? What is one step that you can take to make this a better situation? How did you contribute to this situation? What do you get out of staying in this space? What could happen if you decided to take a step forward? We start to ask questions about what is possible and create a different outcome, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, my, my dear friends who supported me when I was in, you know, when I went through my victim stuff, that's what they did for me. And it popped me out of it. So a lot of times mm-hmm. we just look at a victim, we pat them on the head and say, oh, poor you, you deserve to stay there. And we've totally disempowered themselves and our, and themselves and ourselves as well. Right. That's, that's, <clears throat> that's really, I mean, that's really interesting. And I guess it's, it's interesting in the sense of taking a coaching approach when working with people and asking a lot of uh, a lot of what questions you know questions that start with what like the examples that you're giving um and uh you know i, th- I think in the uh, the coaching habit um uh you know a- another book that gives some great tips on how to do that mm-hmm. and um and uh humble inquiry another book that talks about the you know those topics that people great can check book. out yep. um yeah and uh and uh, in terms of, you know, asking good what questions and also good how questions, uh, trying to avoid most of the others, <laughs> like why <laughs> and things like that. But um, yeah, because you know, they become harmful, don't people. they? They're, they become judging questions. Right, right. Feel, feeling right. Coming off as, as judgmental. And you know, even if you don't mean it that way. And sometimes when you don't mean it that way, you really do. But uh, but uh but anyway, yeah. So that's so that's it's, it's really important. I, I appreciate you, you know, under explaining how uh, people can uh, people can understand, you know, I guess the the importance of emotional intelligence, how it affects uh, how it affects real life results in in your business, and uh, you know, and, and at least a couple of examples of these, um, you know, victim, villain, hero, drama triangles, and customizing communication to meet people where they are and not have to bang your head against the wall. Um, and again, you can get more information about Mary Pat and, uh, you know, her teaching and what she does at leaders inspired, you know, for your leadership team or anything else, just get, get more information, leadersinspired.com. And, uh, also more information on her upcoming book in the middle of next year, the, the emotionally intelligent leader, uh, at, uh, you can, you know, get updates on that. If you take her, her quiz there at, emotionallyintelligentleader.com it's without the the just emotionallyintelligentleader.com and uh, thanks for coming on Mary Pat I know people got a lot of value from that I really really appreciate you having me here to talk about my favorite topic thank you so much no problem thanks for coming on and we'll see everybody else on the other side thanks a lot 
You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.